Welcome back to Cancer Perspective. Thank you for joining us. You've been pushed into this deep end of cancer, and I'm trying to take small bites out of several topics during this first few podcasts. Today, we're going to be talking about what causes cancer, because that's a common question that I get. What did I do to cause this cancer? Most likely, you didn't do anything. The theory is, is that cancer takes multiple triggers to injure a cell. You may have a genetic link to cancer, but that doesn't automatically mean that you will get that cancer. It takes more than one insult to damage a gene. The most common cause of cancer is age, age-related changes that can't be controlled. Aging is one of the biggest risk factors overall for most individual cancer types. In age groups under 20, it's much less common to get cancer. Chronic inflammation has been found to be a risk factor as well. These are infections that don't go away or an immune system that doesn't act normally. And over time, the chronic inflammation can damage the DNA, such as uh, Crohn's disease or inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, can increase a risk for colon cancer. We've also learned that there is a definite link between tobacco and cancer. In particular, smoking tobacco has been found to have at least 70 known carcinogens, including radioactive material inside the tobacco leaves that come from the fertilizer and soil. But smokeless tobacco isn't quite unaffected either. There's many chemicals that can be absorbed directly into the mucous membranes or the lining of your mouth. And then when you're talking about heated tobacco products, such as cigars, heated tobacco may have less direct contact with the mucous membranes, but does not mean those levels are safe. They go into the lungs as well as e-cigarettes that contain aerosols and other chemicals can be toxic and also cause cancer. Tobacco has also been linked to leukemias, bladder cancers, esophageal cancers, oral cancers, lung cancers, pancreatic and digestive cancers. Another known risk factor is being overweight. Obesity with the excess fat can help store more estrogen and insulin and hormones that stimulate or feed off of the cancer, especially cancers such as breast cancer, colon, rectal, pancreatic, and uterine cancers. They like to feed off of hormones and insulin. Eating highly processed food is thought to be a risk factor as well as they have chemicals that can be damaging to the cells over time. Diabetes is thought to elevate your risk, as is drinking alcohol to excess. Alcohol can increase the risk to esophageal, breast, and bladder cancers. And it's usually an excess amount of alcohol and not the type of alcohol that you drink. It's not that wine is better for you. Drinking too much wine can be just as detrimental as drinking too much beer. 
And then there are infections that have been linked to cancer. We know about the Epstein-Barr virus. This virus puts you at increased risk for a specific type of lymphoma and head and neck cancers. The HPV virus linked to cervical and oral HPV virus linked to the sex organ cancers and to the oropharynx or the neck and throat cancers. Hepatitis B and C increases the risk for liver cancer. Knowing that infections link a person to a higher risk of cancer, it has been exciting news in the cancer world because vaccines to protect against hepatitis and HPV have been expected to decrease the amounts of cancers. When we talk about viruses, I want to make it clear that you can have a higher risk of developing cancer over time because of a virus, but you can't transmit cancer to somebody else. You can transmit a virus to somebody else, but you cannot transmit cancer. So your cancer is not contagious. You cannot catch cancer from somebody else. Going back to the risk factors, radiation such as the sun and tanning can cause cancers. Having radiation to treat a disease can put you at risk for a cancer as well. So maybe a child has had cancer when they were young and then they needed radiation to their chest and when they're older they may have a higher risk for breast or lung cancers. Risk factors such as exposure to chemicals like air pollution, secondhand smoke, arsenic within a water supply, pesticides being sprayed on farms nearby or the food that you eat when you pick it up have all been linked to a higher incidence or risk for developing cancer over time. And again, I want to discuss what does not cause cancer. Cancer is not caused by sugar, which is a big one that I hear about. Yes, obesity can cause cancer, but your body makes sugar and will make the glucose that it needs to make cells grow just like they're supposed to. But eating a dozen Krispy Kremes is not going to cause you to have cancer. Eating a dozen Krispy Kremes a day for over six months might potentially have you gain weight and cause other damages to your body and chronic inflammation can develop and then your risk of cancer does rise. But it wasn't the sugar itself. Artificial sweeteners have been linked to cancer in rats, but it has not been proven that the same risks transmit to humans. Having emotions or uh, stress have been studied at length as well, and there's no clear evidence that they raise your risk to develop cancer. Stress can affect the immune system and how you uh, react to the world outside. It can decrease your effectiveness to fight off a disease, but it is not going to cause cancer as it has been highly studied. Cancer usually starts with a damaged gene. How that gets damaged is not quite understood. 
But again, I mentioned in one of our original episodes that every day it is believed that a cell turns cancerous, at least one in your body, and your immune system detects it, rids itself, and then repairs the the gene that caused that offspring. So over a week, there might be dozens of these cancer genes that have been removed from your system. I find it interesting about viruses. When you get a virus, you get it for life. For instance, the Epstein-Barr virus, you may have gotten it as a child from your mother who got it as a child from her mother, and then it lives with you forever. It is believed that the younger you get the Epstein-Barr virus, the more mild or even asymptomatic that virus can be. But if you get that virus when you're older, maybe a teenager, and you get it from kissing someone that has the virus and it's transmitted to you, and now you have the Epstein-Barr virus that caused your mono. Then mono can make you sick for days and days, causing a horrible sore throat. Or you can get it when you're even older. But when you do get it, the virus will live in you forever. And it may have caused a little bit of damage. And then something else goes around, like maybe becoming an alcoholic damages the lining to the back of your throat. And then you end up with esophageal cancer. I've mentioned that we have vaccines against things like HPV, which can help prevent what they think is about 90% of HPV cancers now. We give it to young people starting at the age of maybe 12 and can go up into the mid-20s right now. But they do not stop or help treat an existing infection. To be most effective, the vaccine series has to be given before a person has become sexually active. Testing vaccines to actually treat cancer has been going on for a very long time, too. Unfortunately, that has not been as successful as helping prevent cancers, which is a great thing. We have a preventative course for somebody to help prevent their risk of HPV virus that decreases the risk of developing a cervical or penile or vulvar cancer or even the head and neck cancers by 90%. That is remarkable. So what does not prevent cancer then? Vaccines, as I have just talked about, Taking aspirin daily has not been shown to prevent most cancers. Vitamin and mineral supplements have not been shown to prevent cancer. But we know that adequate diet and exercise helps give your immune system and your checks and balances that we don't even fully understand helps keep you in a nice good balance. Why does somebody who has been exercising daily for years, doesn't drink or smoke, doesn't do anything that appears to be wrong, although wrong is not the exact right word, how come they will develop cancer? My answer is, I don't know, except for that some sort of damage happened at some point 
Was that damage done at birth? Did they inherit something that put them at higher risk? Was that damage done by something that happened before they became active and monitored their health optimally? Or have they always been optimally healthy and it just happens? Unfortunately, there's just too many ifs, ands, or buts within our body to know why somebody was dealt the bad card. I do want to reiterate that you did not deserve to get cancer. You just have cancer. Somebody that has been a smoker all their life never wanted to get cancer, and they don't deserve cancer if they develop something that was directly related to the insult of the smoking. Their cancer may not have been related to the smoking even. Because it's hard to understand what caused somebody's cancer, it is important not to blame. It is important to understand what your risks are, minimize your risks, So how can we minimize our risk? We can stay active. We can eat healthy. We can refrain from cigarettes and inhaling anything directly into our lungs that might have the potential to damage the very sensitive lining within our lungs. These are all things that you can do to also help stay healthy once you have been diagnosed with cancer. We know the people who do the best with any treatment are the people who are able to stay well active, eat a decent diet, and stay well hydrated. The goal once you start treatment is to maintain as much wellness as you can. Becoming more frail will mean your recovery has not just to do with the cancer itself, but also the damage that the cancer has led to, such as becoming debilitated enough that you're not walking or eating well and you're not uh, well nourished. Remembering to take care of yourself Be kind to yourself and to others and reach out for the support that you need to help get through your diagnosis and treatment and maintaining as much independence and wellness as you can for as long as you can. Again, we've been taking small bites out of a large topic. Next time, I want to discuss more about how we communicate. Who do we call when we have cancer, but we also have multiple other issues? Do I call my cancer doctor? Do I call my primary doctor? Who is in charge of what? I have all these questions to ask. Who do I ask what questions to? And though we may have talked a little bit about this before, I'm going to bring it all back around again and talk more about etiquette in talking to your cancer team when to call them, how to call them, and when do they become the first call. I appreciate you listening. We have much to talk about, and all these episodes are trying to lead you to a place where you feel more comfortable in learning about your specific diagnosis and how best to lead your best, most independent, and most self-directed care the way you see the process going. So I will be recording many more of these episodes, and I hope that you'll come along for this journey. And I hope you understand that you are not alone. 
we are here for you and you have others that support you along the way. Thank you for listening. Take care and spread kindness.